through the eyes of a visitor when they come. We tried to tell them after service that that sister was getting a blessing. And from the look on her face, they think it was an epileptic fit that came on. We tried to describe to them that it's just absolutely joy unspeakable and full of glory. And all they saw was all these contortions that we went through. My, my, this salvation that I've had. Amen. Makes me just want to smile sometime in God's house. Hallelujah. Just turn around and smile at a neighbor beside you. Amen. I'm not trying one of Brother Bo's tricks so you can discern which neighbor brushed their teeth or not. Just, just smile. Amen. Praise God. Oh, what a joy to be here. Thank you so much, Brother and Sister McKillop, your kindness and beautiful hospitality. Amen. I promise you this man's worthy to be a bishop according to all biblical explanation. Amen. And not least of all is that they are given to hospitality. Amen. Now, if you don't believe that, all of my suit pants do believe that. Amen. I told my wife last night when I tried to suck in and hold my breath enough to, you know, put on my pants to be able to come to church. She said, you should have worn that one the first service here. That suit, so it would have fit. Amen. But we have certainly enjoyed ourselves. I read to you tonight from the book of Judges and also from the book of Psalms. First of all, Judges chapter 8. I'm going to preach to you tonight about Gideon and your mind immediately is thinking about his 300, the trumpets, the lamps, and all of that, right? Right? Because that's the only part of Gideon's story we ever hear preached about, isn't it? Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the rest of that story, it's all right there in the book. I don't know why I never heard anybody get to it before I found it, but I'm sure somebody got to it. Judges chapter 8, and then also hold your finger, if you will, the 83rd Psalms. Judges chapter 8. Gideon had a son the Bible talks about. Amen. We don't normally even think about his boy, but he's in there. Judges chapter 8 and begin reading at verse number 18. And this is Gideon who is doing the talking. 
Judges 8, verse number 18. Then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? And they answered, listen to this answer, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up. And slay them. But the youth drew not his sword. For he feared. Because he was yet a youth. Mighty, mighty man named Gideon. Had a son who would not pull the sword out simply out of fear was in his heart psalms chapter 83 verses 11 and 12 makes a another mention of these two men that were there before gideon and his son verse 11 he said make their nobles like oreb and like zeb Yea, all their princes, as Zeba and as Zalmunna, who said, listen to their bold boast, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Sounds like a mighty proud boast to me that two heathen men would make the brag and say, we are going to take the houses of God in possession. Amen. And I want to preach to you tonight from these two scriptures. I very different than what Brother Booker told us last night. I came here really wondering what God would have me to preach, and especially this morning, really pondering. And as Brother Bo so capably preached to us about the truth that you and I have, God impressed upon my heart very forcibly to preach this to you here tonight. My subject is the tale of two generations. The tale of two generations. Amen. I want God to talk with me. I want God to talk with you today. I want the Spirit of the Lord to do something here right tonight. Would you pray with me now? Oh God, we recognize our need of you. 
We acknowledge above any and everything else, God, that without you we can do absolutely nothing, God. And I am praying, Almighty oh, God, this beautiful Saturday night service, Lord, after a full week of your blessing and your glory, God, I pray right now, Lord, speak with your people, talk with each of us, Lord, that we may do your will now in Jesus' name. And all the people said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. The Bible tells us in many, many places, direct quotes as well as a lot of indirect references and implications, that our primary duty as a child of God is to love God. And we all know that, and we're aware of that, and truthfully, I believe I am among a group of people that are striving to do that, to sincerely show with our lifestyle how much that we love God. But there is also a sub-theme that is consistent in the Word of God, along with loving God, comes our responsibility for hating that which is evil. We don't hear a whole lot about that, but the Bible tells us that that truthfully goes along with that. I have met people that I do believe genuinely loved God, but never developed a hatred for that which is evil. And I live long enough to see their love for God became diluted before too long down the road. Because they go together. They are inseparable. David put it like this in the 97th Psalm. He said, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. If you're going to maintain your love, and your relationship with God. You not only have to love that which is good, but you've got to learn to abhor that which is evil. You have got to develop with inside of you that ability to detest wickedness and evil and sin as the devil has brought it upon our generation today that we are living in. Gideon was a mighty, mighty man of God. Tremendous man of valor that had a visitation from an angel that came and thrust him into the battle and told him of the mighty things that God saw him capable of doing. And I will, if you will allow me tonight, I will typify Gideon as the older generation. Don't ask me where we're going to draw that line because that line keeps getting fuzzier and fuzzier the weaker my eyesight gets. 
and the more hair that falls out of my head, I'm having a harder, harder time really distinguishing where the line is between the older generation and the younger generation. So we won't mess with any of that here tonight. Just suffice it to say that Gideon, the older generation, a man that rose up one day through the direction and the leadership of an almighty God. You know the story with 300 men that had been sifted down from the 32,000 that were there with lamps and with trumpets. They obeyed God and saw a tremendous victory in a battle that was there. But the battle was not complete. I know we hear it preached that they fought against them and the enemy began to turn and fight against one another and that was the end of the story. But it really wasn't. And I, I'm going to show you right here in the Word of God tonight. From that point on, Gideon got his men together and they pursued after the enemy that they had routed. Two out of four of the princes of the enemy were destroyed by the hand of Gideon and his men. The adversaries that were there against them numbered 135,000. Gideon did not just kill a little tiny portion of those and leave everything that remained for the younger generation that was coming on. No, no, my friend. Gideon personally oversaw the destruction of 120,000 of those 135,000 enemies uh, that were there. He was a mighty man of God and did great uh, and wonderful things. I'm going to tell you from the beginning here tonight, don't ever, don't ever minimize the exploits of the generation that was before us. Amen. Don't ever try to play it all down uh, like they just took care of a little bit of light work and they left all the major work uh, of the battle for us and upon our shoulders that are here today. Uh, I'm telling you, the generation that has come before us uh, has been a beautiful generation that has fought, that is captured, that has completely destroyed uh, all kinds of false doctrines uh, and damnable heresies uh, and every type uh, of trick and trap uh, that the devil could throw in their way. I have been so blessed since I have been here to reflect upon the beauty of truly a multi-generational church. I have stood in your foyer more than once since I've been here and looked up upon the walls and looked at the pictures and looked at the caption, the names underneath there of the various pictures and saw the memorial 
that a beautiful church not relegated to some back room somewhere where nobody who didn't know the past and the history of the church would not be exposed to it. But right there so beautifully for saints of God, for little children to see as they grow up in the kingdom of God uh, here at this church uh, of the beautiful heritage, uh, amen, that past generations uh, and the battles that they have fought, uh, amen. I never met Brother Ralston, but I looked at that picture and thought of 35 years of labor and wondered of all uh, of the damnable heresies and false doctrine uh, that swept across this part, uh, amen, of Canada throughout those years and his willingness uh, to fight every battle uh, that came against this church uh, in order to stand tall uh, and strong for righteousness uh, and for the things of God. Uh, I'm no dummy, friend. Uh, I wouldn't be looking at saints uh, that look like they do today uh, if the generation before had sold it all away. Amen. You'd look definitely distinctively different than what you look. Never have met Pop McKillop. Amen. Wish I had a sounds like a tremendous man. To the best of my knowledge, I've never met Brother Jim McKillop while he was here. I remember hearing a man of the passing of a great man of God up in this area. I remember that, but never had the privilege of meeting and knowing a man, that man that gave, I believe, 13 years of his life for this church, for beautiful truth, for wonderful revival, for the blessings of God that are here. I was privileged just today, amen, to meet his dear wife. Sister Joyce McKillop, the children, Dusky and Mark and Rachel, Nathan, as I've watched and observed them throughout these services that are here. I thought, thank God. Yes, sir. Amen. Daddy put something in them that put truth above any and everything else. Put it in them. You don't know. What an absolute miracle that you live with every day. To see a former pastor's wife and his children remain in the church and be a blessing instead of a curse to the local church. You don't, you don't even comprehend nor understand how it is. Most places. Somebody has to beg them to leave because of all the problems that it's stirring up, creating, and the comparisons, uh, and the feelings, and the attitudes, uh, and the jealousies, and all that's associated with that. But I haven't sensed anything but absolute blessing here. I looked around today. Amen. I looked around today, and I thought, who, who in this congregation, and I... I tried hard to figure out. I, I couldn't rightfully say that I knew if there was anybody else that could know, at least partially, the way I know some of the feelings that those children have had to battle with. 
Because twice in my childhood, twice in my childhood, my father, who was my pastor, suddenly I was thrust into an environment where he no longer was my pastor. Once because of financial disaster and another because of broken health and a stroke that he had. And I know what it's like to sit there as a little child and see Jimmy getting all the attention that I used to get as the preacher's boy. I know what it's like to sit there and battle with all kinds of feelings and emotions and attitudes that ran through the heart, amen, later on as a teenage boy and seeing and trying to comprehend and understand what it was all about and how God in all of His divine providence, how, how He planned that all out, how I was supposed to sort all that out, how I was supposed to have the right attitude and the right spirit in it all. Uh, oh, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. You are blessed as a church. Uh, you are divinely blessed as a church. Uh, amen. That God is sent to this church. Uh, amen. The brother and sister McKillop that are now the pastors of this church uh, and the family relationships and the love uh, and the union and the care and the concern. Uh, I didn't ask anybody if it was alright for me to say that. I knew it was. Amen. I've watched the relationships uh, that are there and I've watched, uh, amen, the children and Darren and Candace and Daniel and Damon and the love and the camaraderie with their cousins uh, and the care that's there. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Should God in Providence ever happen to have tragedy strike your home, you wouldn't walk a whole mile in their moccasins before you'd figure out it was a whole lot harder than how they made it look. A whole lot harder. But God has blessed in a way that I have never seen in another church where I have traveled before. The ability of a church to link with the past and to build with that generation and to build on top of it. Uh, amen. Growing toward uh, like the sap from the trunk of a tree uh, that feeds the future branches uh, and the new growth uh, that is growing out of that tree uh, and the beautiful fruit uh, that is brought to bear there. Hear me again before I move on. Uh, don't ever minimize the exploits uh, of the last generation. Uh, don't ever minimize it, my friend. Uh, we are what we are today uh, because of what uh, the last generation uh, has given to us, uh, has done for us. Oh, I'm telling you, I never wanted to kiss a grave before in my life till Brother Booker got to preaching last night. 
other God. If I was in the Northtown Cemetery in McAllister, Oklahoma today, I would leave the church house uh, and I would run through the gates of that cemetery and I would find the grave uh, of Granny White. Uh, amen. That's got her name on it. Uh, amen. And I'd kiss that stone uh, that is there uh, and I'd say, thank you, God, uh, for what the generation uh, before me uh, has handed to me, uh, has given to me. Uh, it's more valuable than anything else. Uh, my boys are all excited because Grandma has told them that we're a direct descendant of Daniel Boone. You know what? I could care less that Daniel Boone's in the family tree. You know what matters to me? <laughs> Woo! that there was one generation of truth uh, in the family tree somewhere, amen, that fought the battles against the adversary and gained pure, uh, unadulterated truth uh, and doctrine uh, into my life uh, and placed it uh, inside of me. Uh, the Bible said Gideon and his men... Uh, they were faint. They got weary. They got tired. But it said yet pursuing. Hallelujah. They said we're getting tired in this battle. There's a whole lot of fighting. The Bible said they fought on into the night. Almost to the coming up of sun the next day. But something in the heart said we're tired but we're not giving up. We're not giving up. We're going to keep on fighting. Hallelujah. The generation before us has blessed us. Unbelievably. He fought his way through a couple of cities that were there. And when he came to the city of Sukkoth that was there, all he asked the people to do, he said, I got a bunch of hungry soldiers. I don't have any rations to give to them to feed them. He said, Is there any way you can give us some bread to help us with this fight? And the Bible said that. The men of Sukkoth there said, wait a minute, we're not sure if we want to identify with you or not. Have you conquered the enemy yet? We want to make sure we're on the right side so we're going to see which way the wind blows before we figure out where we're going to stand on certain things. We, we got to we know for sure which side's going to come up on top before we figure it out. Gideon said, forget you. Right. He said, I'll be back. God's going to give me victory. And when I come back, uh, he said, I got a lesson I'm going to teach you, boys. Uh, I'm going to teach you that when you're not willing to commit yourself uh, to make a stand uh, on the right side of righteousness, uh, when the battle is raging, uh, you make God angry. Uh, and the Almighty God uh, will teach you a lesson. Uh, he came to the men of Penuel uh, that was there, and he asked them again, uh, he said, just give us some bread. And they said, uh, uh, are you sure you're going to win the battle? We don't want to cooperate with you if truthfully they're going to win and they'll come back and make us pay for feeding you as the soldiers. He said, get out of here. It's okay. God's going to make you pay. 
Gideon took his men, they marched on, and absolute beautiful victory was wrought for them. Gideon came back bringing prisoners with him, and as he did, he caught, the Bible said, a young man from Sukkoth that was there. He got the young man aside, he said, I want you to tell me something. Who are the elders and the princes of Sukkoth? Describe them fellas to me. And I see him taking out a pen and a paper. The guy's got a long nose and a crook on the end of it. Okay. This guy, he's cross-eyed. This guy's buck-tee. This guy's about that tall and about that wide. Okay. And, and described to me somebody. And the Bible said that's what he did. He described to him 77 uh, of those men that were there from the city of Sukkoth. Uh, now, now hear me, because I, I got some. You, you got to get it tonight. Uh, he said that they were both elders and princes. Amen. I'm sorry, but I don't buy the notion that all of the worldliness that is attempting to creep into the church is solely the results of the younger generation. Amen. I'm sorry you will never convince me that there are not an equal amount of elders as there are princes that are not willing uh, to take a Stand and put their life on the line in the crucial days of battle that we are in today. And Gideon said, I am going to teach you a lesson that you should have stood with the right side of this thing. And the Bible said he got some briars. You thought your pastor got big and bad some days, didn't you? Said he got some briars and some thorns from out of the wilderness. <laughs> and he marched them 77 cowards outside the edge of town and began to thrash on their hide with the briars and the thorns of the wilderness. I can just hear them saying, oh, I'm sorry. I was really on your side all along. Well, why didn't you stand up when I needed you? Well, well, I, I just didn't want to look you know, too much like a spectacle. That ain't good enough. When I needed you, you should have stood with me. You should have stood strong and tall. And he thrashed on them. My friend, I know somebody besides Gideon that's coming back. And my friend, I fully believe that every elder as well as every prince that would not take a definite stand for righteousness uh, in this last day and hour that you and I are living with uh, is going to have to deal uh, with the fury uh, of an angry God uh, that purchased a church uh, with his own blood uh, and wanted somebody uh, that was willing uh, to be uh, a preacher of righteousness uh, that was willing to stand uh, when it wasn't popular that was willing 
to stand uh, when the wind wasn't blowing the right way. Uh, that was willing to make a stand uh, for righteousness uh, in his life. You know elders that have stood for truth. You need to praise God. Every mention of their name. Because hear me, it wasn't any easier for them to stand in their day than it is for you and I to stand in our day. But the Bible said there were two kings that Gideon did not kill. And they were left for the next generation to finish off. Scripture said that two princes were brought back by Gideon for the sole purpose of letting his son, the next generation, involve himself in the slaughter of the enemies of God. He brought back these two Siamese twins, my friend, two peas in a pod, kissing cousins, if you please. He brought them back for his son, uh, amen, to be involved uh, in destroying them. Now, let me just preach to you tonight. Uh, I, I, I know I got it early, but I hope you're not wanting to get out uh, too awfully early. Because I got a little bit of preaching I want to do from this point on. Uh, and I, I really want uh, you to get it. Uh, I believe uh, that the entertainment industry of our day and our time is responsible for what God in His infinite wisdom has left for this generation to see if you and I were willing to link up with the past generation and make the same stands uh, that they would make uh, and fight against uh, the spirits uh, of our day uh, and of our age. Uh, let me tell you why our world uh, is so entertainment wild today. It's because they don't have any joy in their life. Uh, and entertainment uh, becomes a surrogate joy. It's just a little mental diversion uh, that takes their mind uh, off of their jobs, uh, off of their troubles, uh, off of their problems. Uh, and they are starving for more and more and more to entertain them. I believe Zeba could easily represent the music of our generation today. And let me tell you, I, I know, I know because I, I wrestle with this today in prayer right back there in the prayer room. Some of you think you got all of what I'm talking about whipped. You think it's all under control. And some of you ain't going to understand some of what I'm preaching about. I mean, I'm telling you, God impressed me about that in prayer today. You're not even going to understand it nor take the full import of it tonight. But God impressed me that you will understand it in the days that are to come. 
You just mark that down and you tuck that away. You will understand it uh, because the full brunt uh, of what's going on in our world uh, and this little global village uh, will reach all the way, uh, amen, even to the small village uh, of Plaster Rock, uh, amen, and the battle that will rage uh, and what will have to be won uh, for this church uh, of the living God uh, that is right here uh, is so crucial. The music of our world today, Elvis Presley started it with a song in 1954 called Casual Love. From there it has spread into the most incredible, incredible usage of lyrics that has ever happened in any society. I know that immorality was big time bad in the Grecian, in the Roman, and in all the ancient societies. But never, never has a society allowed the lyrics of music to become as degraded as what our society today has as a part of the diabolical plot of the enemy. I'm talking to the point that it's alright to sing songs that talk about suicide, that talk about killing a policeman. It's alright to sing songs that are completely contrary to nature itself. Oh, I won't be there tomorrow, but I have looked in the eyes the past few Mother's Day of a dear old mama, amen, that lost her son because rock music had persuaded him that suicide would not in any way affect anything. It was just a good way out into the other world. And mama came home to find him in the bathtub with his throat slit and there an open Bible laying beside the tub and a little note hoping that God would forgive him. Because the music has persuaded a generation through all of its deviousness and its plots. Amen. I have an article here from Ice T, so popular in the U.S. Oh, yes, he says, rap is considered more dangerous than heavy metal. Even Satan worship. One of their stellar stars of our modern generation today makes the boast that it's more dangerous than even Satan worship in our society today. We got a real live enemy. The second king that I'm going to talk to you about tonight is the one that is represented by Hollywood, and the TV, and the movies, and all that is produced by them. 
I probably know a little more about it than the average one of you do here because all of the major studios in Southern California are within 10 miles of the front door of my church, many of them only three miles away. In the year that I was born, some godly elders got together and took a stand against television. They got together and said we absolutely are standing against the evils uh, that this uh, is going to pose uh, upon our generation. Uh, and my friend, I ain't ever seen anything that was shown back in 1955. But I promise you it had to be a whole lot more mild than anything you could pick up even on a children's channel today. Amen. But they took a stand and said, we uh, are going to stand uh, against these things uh, that are there. Uh, and today, uh, today, just a few years later, we are living to see uh, the wisdom of our elders uh, and what they stood for. I have a little article that is here. I clipped it out of USA Today. It's about uh, actors and, and about male actors becoming drag queens, which means uh, male actors uh, that are willing uh, to go into movies uh, and on programs uh, and dress themselves up uh, as women uh, and behave in such a manner uh, like they were a lady. Uh, and it tells about what they're doing uh, and how much freer they feel uh, to do all of that nowadays uh, in our society uh, upon the screen. Uh, listen, let me just read you uh, a few little excerpts of it. It said they've never been so numerous, so visible, and so unabashed, unashamed. These Gender benders, they're called. Harlem blacks strutting through drag competitions in Paris is burning. A film that has done record-breaking business in New York and opened in 25 other U.S. cities last weekend. The women's movement has been around for years now, so people can be looser about sex roles and can enjoy the fun of a performer who crosses gender. Playwright comedian Charles Bush, whose drag classic Vampire Lesbians of Sodom was a huge off-Broadway hit. In the film, Paris is Burning, it shows uh, how voguing a dance popularized by Madonna originated in the Harlem gay subculture. Listen to this one. The presentation of Sister Paula, a show out of Portland, Oregon, of drag evangelist 
Paula Nielsen. His ministry began when he brought his drag act to his high school reunion and began quoting scriptures from the Bible. His message, I always knew that a lot of people wouldn't accept me, but I knew that God would accept me just like I am. Madonna adores drag and invested money in the recent Los Angeles production entitled Lip Sinking. Listen to another expert. Drag performers won't give up easily. Putting on a dress has often been a turning point in their careers, liberating them to explore the masculine and feminine sides of their personality. Anybody have a trash can? I'm getting nauseated just reading about the puke. Uh -huh. A society that you and I are living in today that has become so corrupt and so polluted and so involved in unisex and so involved in promoting that everywhere, amen, upon the minds and the influence. You say, thank God I live here and not in the U.S. I got news for you, friend. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you can imagine. Let me tell you, when my God pronounced an abomination upon his children getting involved in idols, it was not just the idol themselves. But he said, if you try to salvage uh, the gold or the silver off of that idol, uh, if you just try to get the good uh, from off of that idol, uh, God pronounced uh, that it was just as much uh, as an abomination uh, unto you. Uh, I'm telling you, no place uh, in God's kingdom uh, do we need to be salvaging uh, and trying uh, to get anything good out of what Hollywood is trying to produce upon our society. Amen. But they're trying. They're trying everywhere. They're trying to get the job done. You say, well, I, 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 realize, I realize that my pastor's right. Children, cartoons, stuff like that. Well, no, not at my house, but when we're over with relatives. When we're, you know, visiting someone. Surely all that stuff's harmless. I got news for you. Walt Disney's headquarters is in Burbank, California. And there's not one person in Burbank that doesn't know from the top on down they're all homosexuals. And you can be as ignorant if you want to be. 
but you're looking at one man that don't want no homosexuals babysitting my boys. I don't want no homosexuals uh, influencing my boys uh, in any way, shape, uh, nor form. Uh, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, amen. I want them, uh, amen, to love what daddy loved. Uh, I want them to love uh, what grandpa loved. Uh, and the only way they're going to end up loving it uh, is if they learn to also hate uh, what God hates. Uh, if they learn to latch on to it and be willing to stand for it. But these two kings that Gideon had left, Zeb and Zalmunna, listen to what they said. Psalms 82. They said, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. You'd have thought the devil would have been thrilled since he has every disco in North America, wouldn't you? You'd have thought he'd have said, I got enough since he's got every nightclub, he's got every party, every honky-tonk, every bar, and every tavern. But I'm going to tell you the plot of the devil in this end time. He ain't one bit satisfied till he's got every last house of God taken in possession unto himself. We are living in a time and an era. I promise you the devil has set his sights upon this church in Plaster Rock. I'm telling you without any doubt he's not satisfied that he's got the rest of them. He's not happy that he's got the denominal world. He's not delighted and willing to quit because he's got a whole lot of other oneness churches that is up in this neck of the woods. The devil said, I'm not happy until I take the last bastion, the last stronghold that is there. I want the houses of God taken in possession to myself. I want to slide my slimy fingers in there. And I want to get control one way or another. Amen. Let me tell you, friend, he ain't thrilled that just all the music is left and relegated outside. He wants to sneak into the cassettes, the CDs of some of the teenagers of this church when they're playing when nobody else is around to listen. Because he knows if he can get a foothold in the younger generation. He knows that's his only hope uh, of one day bringing that junk up here to this platform. He knows uh, that he's got to start somewhere trying to worm his way in, uh, in taking it uh, into possession uh, and doing what he can uh, to get a hold of it uh, and get it there. Uh, oh, thank God uh, that God's church said, Devil, uh, I got news for you. Amen. Uh, yeah, you might have succeeded uh, a lot of places, uh, but say, uh, Amen, ah, good old music uh, that 
that we believe in uh, and that we play. Uh, we didn't need Christian rock. If there is any such an animal, uh, we don't need gospel rap. Uh, we don't need any of your junk uh, that you want to bring uh, into the house of God. Uh, this is God's house. Uh, you don't belong here. We are going to fight uh, for the generation uh, that is yet to come uh, to preserve the truth. Very popular, quote unquote, gospel rock group in Los Angeles is called the Stripers. And you know, by his stripes, we are healed. I mean, you know, they all got their long hair and freaked out, just a bunch of weirdos. And they get up and sing their songs that absolutely, absolutely don't have much of anything that you could ever discern had to do with Jesus Christ. Man in my church works on the railroad. One day he got to talking with another man that's there and invited him to church and the man said, oh yeah, I know all about the Christians, especially the music scene. He said, why is that? He said, because my children are the group called the Stripers. He said, really? Tell me some more about that. Because he had heard me preach against it. Tell him that his teenage daughter and teenage son, amen, wasn't about to get tangled up with any of that mess. Amen. If they wanted to be children of God, used of God, in the kingdom of God. He said, tell me a little more about that. How, how'd your boys get all into that? He said, well, it's real simple. He said, here in Los Angeles, the rock music scene is highly competitive. More so than all the rest of the places, probably in the world metropolitan areas. And, and said, my boys tried their best to make it as a rock group, but they couldn't even come close to making the break. And so my boys heard that if you use the same music and just changed the words that there was a wide open field called Christian rock that you could make the break into it real easy and so that's all my boys did and now they're popular and now they're famous brother Jess came and told me about that I'm telling you I got goosebumps all over my back I thought what deceived people that claim to be the people of God uh, that are eating up all that garbage uh, and all it is is rock music uh, from some enterprising, ambitious, uh, filthy, polluted uh, people that don't care anything uh, about Jesus Christ. Uh, they just want to make a name uh, for themselves uh, and make a break uh, and get all uh, of the fame that they're after. Zeba and Salmuna said, we'll get in one way or the other. We're going to take the houses of God to our possession. We're going to get in there by hook or crook. We ain't just content that all the rest of the world's going down the road. Going down the road listening to all this 
music that, no wonder there's so many chiropractors nowadays. Man, you need one just to listen to one song of all that stuff. Uh, and the motions that they go through. Uh, it'll give you whiplash in a big hurry. We're going to take the houses of God into possession. Devil's not, he's not happy. He's not happy that he's got TV in every home and business. He's not happy that all the other churches around have television in their homes and have it approved by their pastor. Zeban Zalmuna said, we're going to take the real houses of God. We're going to get that first apostolic church down there at Plaster Rock. One way or the other, we're going to find our way in. We're going to take that house to ourselves, uh, to our possession. Uh, we're going to do something, uh, and we're going to get a hold of it. Uh, you know, one of his slickest ploys uh, that he's used to get in uh, a whole lot of what used to be the houses of God is video. Yeah, yeah to worm his way in uh, and to figure out a way uh, to get them, uh, amen, addicted to Hollywood uh, and what it's got to offer. My wife and I went on a trip uh, visiting some mission fields. We went to one place. Uh, it's hard to find it on a map, I assure you, but it's called the Island Kingdom of Tonga. One of the members, one of the members of the government of that country sat on the plane next to me and I talked with him and we talked and discussed about his country. I said I've heard your country has an unbelievably low crime rate. He said we used to. I said really? I heard it was one of the safest places on planet earth because your king and your parliament had outlawed television anywhere in the country. He said, that's right. We did. He said, our king looked around and saw how it had deteriorated every other society that took it in. And we made an absolute decree. No television would be anywhere in the island kingdom of Tonga. I said, well, what's happened then? He said, video. I said, what do you mean? He said, video came to our island because we could control what television stations were beamed in here. We could control by not allowing satellite dishes or any of that to be receptacles for television stations. But when video became popular, we had absolutely no control over who was gonna rent what and bring it back in the country and make copies of it and spread it around. He said until now, 
He said, there's crime in our streets. There's young ladies being raped where they never, ever had the problem before. There's murder and there's violence and there's all kinds of bad things that's happening. You think Ziba's dumb? You think Zalmuna's an idiot? They said, we are going to take the houses of God into possession. We're going to get them. We're going to get him there one way or another. We're going to corrupt them. We're going to defile them. We don't like them being godly and standing for righteousness. We want to teach them the ways of the world. want to pollute their minds. Get in, ask him a question which was a profound question. He said, Zeba, Zalmuna, their hands are tied behind their back. He's standing before the next generation, his boy, Jether. He said, son, listen up. He wanted his boy to hear it. He was saying it for his good. Zeba and Zalmuna, he said, describe to me before you slaughtered the others, what did they look like? Zeba and Zalmuna said, they all looked just like you before we got to them. They all look like king's sons. They all look pure and wholesome and right before we got to them. They all looked exactly uh, the same way. Uh, I'm not making it up, my friend. Uh, I'm telling you, the Methodists used to look uh, just like us. Amen. The Methodists uh, look just uh, like us. Uh, the Assemblies of God uh, used to look just uh, like this church looks tonight. Uh, they look just like us uh, until Ziba and Zalmuna got to them. Uh, until they opened the doors uh, of their church uh, and let them take possession uh, and let them come in. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in my heart uh, is burning tonight. Uh, there's a whole lot uh, of people uh, that used to look just like you do uh, and dress just like you do. Uh, but one day uh, they let the music of the world in. Uh, they let Hollywood in. Uh, they let it in. Uh, and today uh, you can't tell them apart. All of the rest of the world. Ziba and Zalmuna taught them how to cut their hair. Taught him that, ladies, you don't really look your best if you don't have a little makeup on. Zeba and Zalmuna taught him how to put on jewelry. Taught him that you need a little bit of that in moderation in order for everything to be just right. 
Gideon looked at his boy, Jether, and he said, Jether, Jether, Daddy did all Daddy could do. Now I've brought these home to you for you to pull out the sword and you to kill him. Jether looked at his daddy. What'd you say, daddy? He said, I brought him home, son. Get up and whip out your sword and whack them to shreds. Jether said, but I don't know, daddy. I don't know. I, I just, I just didn't go to the movies because you said it was wrong. I, I just, just didn't do this because of you, Mama, and your convictions. I just didn't, didn't, didn't do any of these things because I, I, I just trusted you, and and that's the way you taught me. Oh, my friend, God is crying out. To another generation and he's saying you better get something in your gut too son you better get something in your heart too daughter you better get a hatred for evil in your heart hey boy that was your kin folks that they killed that was your relatives that they slaughtered are you gonna just stand there and patty cake with them convictions yourself and whip out the sword. See, that puke ain't coming in my car, in my tape deck, not because of what Brother McKillop said from the pulpit, but because I hate that wicked devil that has destroyed my generation with cocaine overdoses, with suicide, with all kinds of damnable things in their life. When something rises up within a younger generation that said, I ain't going down to the movies, no watching videos over anybody's house because I hate what that devil has done to the houses of God. tale of two generations was what one generation gave blood and guts for. The next generation wasn't willing to rise up and slaughter it. Jether said, I can't do it. I'm too afraid I won't really be popular if I do that. I'm too afraid, Daddy, to to really take a stand, my friends and my peers at school and, and those around me, I, I'm too afraid. It's not politically correct, you know. It's offensive to others if, if I say and talk this old-time religion like you used to preach uh, and make a definite stand for God. Jether was afraid, and he would not draw his sword. And the Bible said when Gideon died, they went whoring after other gods. A man that had fought so hard. 
I'm telling you, don't you dare pass through that foyer ever one more time without you remembering that those men fought so hard for what you have today. <laughs> On the hopes and the faith and the dreams and the confidence uh, that a later generation uh, would see it like they saw it uh, and whip out the sword uh, and say, I'll fight uh, for what you fought for. Uh, I'll stand for righteousness. Uh, I'll stand for godliness. Uh, I don't care if they get every other church uh, in New Brunswick. Uh, I don't care if they get all the churches uh, in North America. willing to fight for what the generation before me fought for. I'm willing. One generation fought so hard and the other generation lacked the courage to finish it off. Oh God. Oh God. I just wonder I just wonder what schemes, I just wonder what diabolical plots, I wonder what ways the worming its way into. I'm telling you, hell hates this church right here. Hell hates, hates as bad as Haman hated Mordecai. Haman couldn't stand it because everybody else bowed to him. Everybody else submitted to him. A one righteous man said, I ain't bowing. I live according to God's law, God's precepts. I just wonder. I close tonight to tell you I was faced with a momentous, momentous choice, probably the greatest challenge of my ministry. Just two, three years back, had a man in the church up in his 70s that had it in his heart, willed everything that he had to our church, Victory Tabernacle. A man that his house and his net worth that time probably worth a quarter of a million dollars. Signed it over, worked it out with his lawyer, everything. I had always thought the reason he kept the television in his house was for his wife. But now she died and she was gone and it was still there. One day God moved on my heart to take a definite stand. Knowing that he and one other family that had moved in were the only ones that had a television in their home. But I obeyed God. Knew the consequences and the price. Went to the pulpit preached you can question it all you want but it was what the lord had told me to do 
I said, I'm not talking to you if you're a visitor here, a new, brand new babe, but I'm telling you if you've been in this church period of years of time and you have a television in your home, you will not go home and get rid of that television tonight. I'm asking you to start attending another church and I will give you a letter transfer wish you well see you later next morning the phone rings and sure enough it's him pastor I'd like to see you this morning I said come on over came in the office he said did did I hear you right last night I said would you like a tape he said I think I made it perfectly clear you meant what you said I said, absolutely, meant every word of it. He said, you know, you know, if I change churches, I'll need to change my will. I said, that's right. I knew that. I expected that. That's perfectly fine. We'll get that all done and taken care of. He said, you're serious, aren't you? I said, I'm dead serious. I said, I got children I'm trying to save. I got new babes in this church that mean more than all the money in the world to me. I said, I'm dead serious. Okay, if you insist. He walked out the office door. I promise you the next eight hours of living was the biggest roller coaster I've ever lived on quarter of a million bucks may not be much to you but where I live they sell land by the square inch instead of the acre and a quarter a million would have really blessed the work of God would have really blessed the work of God and gave us hope to go forward I wrestled and I prayed and I came home and my wife asked me about it I said honey I I believe I did what was right, but I'm telling you, I, I was so low and so depressed. I was so thinking in my heart, God, did I, did I overreact? Should I, should I maybe have dug around the tree and dunged it for one more year? Try to pick a little fruit off of it in the meantime. Should I have done something different, something? Oh, God, I fought, and the devil beat me over the head. I said, go ahead, just be radical. Just don't even use good sense. God tries to bless the kingdom of God right here through you, and you're so stinking stubborn and radical. You give back the blessings and throw it all away. I said, oh, God, oh, God. Eight hours later, the telephone call came. I said, Pastor, come on over and bring a hammer with you. <laughs> so we got a television set. Amen. We want to bust up or get rid of or do something with. You know, you know how I 
I could do that. You may think I just got nerves of steel and, you know, I could do that. Had an elder in my life. His name was David Gray, and I assisted him for one year. And I watched him look a man who was a multimillionaire. A man that was number 29 on the Fortune 500 list in the U.S. You don't understand what that means, but that, that means big, big, big time bucks. Multi, multi-millionaire. I watched him. I watched him look at him and say, you will not be a member of this church if you have a television in your home. Knowing that these hands of mine had carried a $20,000 contribution of that man to the bank on several occasions. I had a Gideon in my life. I was willing to take a stand when everything was on the line. Mama, Daddy, you have no idea what your little children are watching in you. You have no idea what they're seeing in you when you're willing to stand for righteousness. Say, Pastor, I'm with you. I don't care that their friends that they've met and that have moved off and that are in other churches now are all saying it's okay. And everything's fine and it ain't no big deal and he's overreacting and he's radical. The tale of two generations is one fought blood, sweat, and tears. And the other ain't got the guts to stand up and finish the job until the trumpet sounds and God take home a glorious church. Is there anybody in Plaster Rock? Is there anybody that's got enough courage in their heart that said, I'm standing for everything that the older generation stood for? you feel that way about it stand to your feet with me lift your hands up unto the lord lift your hands up unto him right now right now
But I was hoping you all knew the old song called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It says glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Hallelujah. Zeban Zalmuna said, we're going to get that church. We're going to get it one way or the other. We're going to take the houses of God into possession. 